Welcome to Lemper Report Live. On today's broadcast, conflicted consumerism puts price ahead of principles. Instacart and Roku team up. Is it the downfall of plant-based milks? Surprise, what we eat differs from what the USDA says we should eat. And the new farm bill might surprise you. On Bullseye, Unilever's latest marketing ploy. I hope you'll check out my latest food trend series on Forbes.com. To get there, just log on to supermarketguru.com and scroll down to the bottom right. Let's get started. So, Sally, we have this report on conflicted consumerism that comes from uh, the research company Ascendia, How to Sell Direct in the Age of the Conflicted Shopper, um, is their report, new research, 8,000 global shoppers and over 1,000 U.S. shoppers, and they showed that price now tops consumers' key considerations for 52% in their buying decisions, followed by value for the money, 44%. Yet despite cost of living pressures, over three-quarters of American shoppers consider themselves to be sustainably minded in their consumption habits, and that, when it comes to the millennials, is 85%. So when we, when we looked at this conflicted consumerism, they're also saying that 70% of shoppers say they plan to cut back on spending in 2023 due to the economic uncertainty and the reevaluating how and what they buy to minimize their environmental impact. So when I read this, what came to mind is that, you know, the real real uh, which is, you know, buying and selling um, used stuff, clothing, pocketbooks, shoes, whatever else, and guilt. Um, guilt.com now has more uh, previously owned products than ever before. What do you think? Do you think that we're actually going to move um, more into the secondhand buying? Because this report also found that um, over two-fifths, three, 38%, plan to consume less but more sustainably by purchasing secondhand items in 2023. So it's a real interesting dynamic of what's going on with this conflicted shopper. What do you think? Yes, Phil, it is interesting. Um, And I do believe that there are a lot of different um, values that are coming to mind here of modern shoppers, particularly our younger generations, um, that seem to be more concerned about the planet they need to see, be more concerned about carbon emissions when it as it relates to um, transporting products. Um, so they're interested in, you know, at looking at their ordering and delivery habits and how that affects the planet, but also looking at waste, cutting down on waste. And um, all of this is related to um, the higher cost of items, I believe, you know, that things have become more expensive. But also, you know, we've started to learn how to minimize our waste and, um, and how to do that in a way that actually can make us happy. You know, um, social media has made, um, you know, you mentioned uh, the real real and, you know, the fashion world and secondhand um, clothing. Um, that can be a really hip and cool and fun way to shop for, for modern um, lovers of style and fashion. So, so there are th- these, uh, these concepts of, um, of using less um, are buying less and using more of what we already have is really coming to the forefront of shoppers' minds, I believe. The one, one part of this survey that was confusing to me 
is that, you know, everything that we've talked about, that these conflicted shoppers want to do better for the environment, they want to save money and so on. But what they're finding is that um, the demand for next day delivery is up uh, 73% and 69% said the demand for same day delivery, same day delivery is up. These are retailers that are doing it. So it's sort of like an oxymoron. I want to take good care of the planet, but get me my delivery, you know, uh, today, or I'm going to be upset. Yes, we have, we, we have an addiction to, we want it when we want it. And, um, and that is a hard habit to break. Um, the convenience, especially with technology and what we got used to during the shutdown has become such a part of our lives that we rely on getting things delivered to us quickly. But what these delivery companies could start thinking about is that um, these shoppers are looking um, towards, according to this research, they're looking towards um, options for electric vehicle fulfillment. Um, 32% said that they would order um, from those types of companies. So if you are a delivery company, company thinking about a way to, um, to make your transports more planet friendly and to you know, let message that to your shoppers, then you might be in a winning situation. And, it, and it's a great call out to all the supermarkets who have delivery, who are doing it themselves versus doing a third party. Um, yeah, get electric trucks and vehicles and, you know, you'll, you'll probably attract a whole bunch of new consumers. Um, Instacart and Roku have partnered. Um, what they're doing, which is really interesting to me, is that Instacart is taking viewership data from Roku, um, putting it together with the insights from Instacart, and basically they're trying to figure out where streamers are purchasing products on Instacart after seeing an ad on Roku. What they found is those who were exposed to a beverage brand on Roku um, were new purchasers of the brand. They had a 70% higher repeat rate than the average new to the beverage brand buyer on Instacart. So it looks like, you know, Instacart really is finally finding its way. And it's not about picking groceries and delivering them, but being a media giant um, where where they're really going to take over advertising and add another whole level of intelligence to those shoppers. Yes, it is. A, it's a it's a fantastic partnership for CPGs um, to find marketing solutions where they can really see a return on their advertising dollars. You know, whether that's coming from from TV or from internet ads, they can they can use Instacart um, to help them measure that success. What I'm what I'm curious about is uh, is wh why on watching watching TV on Roku. Um, there was a 70% higher rate of um, repeat buyer for a brand. That, that's what I'd like to know. Yeah, and maybe maybe when you have a subscription service like Roku or Netflix or whatever, you know, Peacock and, and so on, that you're more, you're paying more attention to it because you're paying for it. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe that's why. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'd have to ask Roku. Um, you you occasionally consume oat milk, right? Yes, I have. Yeah. So 
the price of oat milk is about double the price of cow's milk. And it looks like there's no end in sight that whether it's almond milk or oat milk or soy milk, the prices continue to go up, especially because of the weather problems that we've had with those crops, um, especially, you know, here in California where there's, you know, the, this flooding that's been going on from these 12 atmospheric rivers. Um, I think it, the number is something like 89 tons of water um, has, has fallen on, you know, the state of California since mid-December. So we are going to see the prices of almonds go up as well as other things. So it looks like, you know, oat milk is going to continue to rise as all these other plant milks are. And I guess my question is, because there's this article in The Guardian that talks about this um, food writer who basically has switched from oat milk to cow's milk because of the price. And also what she found is that uh, while oat milk might have the same amount of calories, it doesn't have protein, um, which we, we gets delivered in cow's milk. And, you know, oat milk, uh, they point out, is much more profitable than cow's milk. It takes a lot less to grow oats than it does to, you know, birth a cow and, and you know, have a cow and, and do it. We also see that plant milk sales have declined 3.6% in the past year. So I guess my question for you is, are plant-based milks over? Well, Phil, there are, there are definitely, there's definitely a big cost difference. In fact, I was looking at my Kroger today at the difference between um, my Kroger here in Nashville, the difference is between dairy milk, a half gallon is $1.99. That's just for regular, not organic milk. Um, and then oat milk ranges from 219, which is the Kroger private label brand, the Simple Truth brand, um, the oat milk range, and then ranges from 379 to 599. So that is a very, very big price difference. What I am wondering is when when we think about the reasons that people switch to plant-based milks, and and that is because um, one, they could have a dairy allergy. We have 1.9 percent yep. of Americans are allergic to dairy. Um, perhaps they're lactose intolerant. Um, the National Institute of Health says that 68% of the world's population um, is lactose intolerant. And we know that that is higher for African-Americans and Asians as well. So those are some of the reasons. And then we also have to look at reasons such as, you know, animal welfare. Um, many people are turning to vegan diets and and don't want to um don't want to buy any anim animal produced products so um so we've got to still consider that consumer and what they're looking for um but yes the price difference is so much there that um i wouldn't be surprised if people start turning back to the dairy milk yeah and when we when we take a look it's more than just price you know you point out that a lot of people are concerned about sustainability issues and the environment but let's not forget that the factories that make plant-based milks um, have a greater environmental impact than those just from milking a cow. And yes, you know we have methane gas um, emitted from cow. Uh, that's a that's certainly a problem. Uh, but I do think we are going to see a shift as this price continues to go up, where people are going to really rethink whether or not plant-based milks, uh, oat milk and almond milk are actually worth it when they have to, you know, kick over five bucks, you know, for a half a gallon versus 
a buck ninety nine for cow's milk. Uh, talking about nutrients, um, the USDA has just issued a chart where they talk about the dietary quality of U.S. consumers age two and above, and what they found is no surprise um, that we consume more sodium than the recommendation. We consume more saturated fat than the recommendation. The surprise for me is that when it comes to total fat, we're about where the recommendation should be. Uh, same thing with calcium. We're really close. But the two deficits are really dietary fiber and iron. And USDA is pretty concerned that what we need to do is we need to beef up dietary fiber and iron uh, dietary fiber is is an easy one um, where you're having, you know, whole grains. Uh, so that could be solved easily. Iron, um, unfortunately, I think that, you know, this is a call to action by our breakfast cereal companies that are loaded with sugar and artificial colors and preservatives and all kinds of stuff where they're going to pump more iron in these in these breakfast cereals and frankly, just be promoting it that hey, we've got an iron deficiency in this country, buy more sugar-coated cereals. Yes, and um, and the dietary fiber and the iron um, deficits for Americans are of great concern. Those are critical nutrients we, that we need, and particularly when we look at how much sodium we are consuming, which, by the way, Phil, I know you saw in this chart, um, is much higher. The sodium intake is much higher when people eat in a restaurant. Yep. as opposed to at home. So that is another thing to consider. But I think there's a great opportunity here for retail dietitians to get involved with their shoppers in their supermarkets and remind them that, hey, we are as a society missing out on these nutrients. And so let me help you find things in the store that you can buy that puts more fiber and more iron in your diet and maybe less sodium. Yeah, and, and the problem with you know having higher sodium levels Again, it's not using that salt shaker. It's, you know, as an ingredient, as a preservative um, or for flavor, that so many of these foods, whether it's in a food service operation or prepared meals that we'll get at a supermarket fresh or in the frozen food case, they just have such high levels of sodium um, that we've got to be careful. And soup, you know, we still, I still go back to the, to the problem that so much of our soups are so high in sodium and when Campbell's Soup got rid of sodium because they, they see the same facts that we do, um, sales went down because people just didn't like the way it tasted. So we've got to break this sugar, salt, and fat addiction that we have. And as we've talked about before, starting with you know younger people and really training their palates to get away from these addictions are critical. Um, so the new farm bill is already being talked about. Um, the next farm bill is projected to cost us $1.5 trillion over 10 years. Um, and there's a lot of discussion this time around with the food bill, with the farm bill, uh, because about 90% of what's in the, the farm bill is for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, food stamps. Um, so there's a lot of talk in Washington that they want to cut that down. Uh, there's 42 million Americans who have to rely on SNAP. One in every four kids uh, do it. And uh, and I apologize, it's not 90%, it's 80% of the farm bill 
uh, goes for SNAP programs. That's up from 76% in 2018. Um, there's also a lot of talk about, you know, adding internet access to the rural areas of this country. That comes out of the farm bill as well. And what they found, uh, which was, uh, you know, shocking to me, is they found that while the government has spent billions to try to bring high-speed internet to the 12 million rural homes that don't have it, um, a lot of it has been fraudulent behavior where, you know, there's um, in the last three round of reconnect, that the reconnect is the um, farm bill's name for rural um, internet. They've received $3.1 billion over the past three years, and they didn't have enough funding uh, to, to make it happen. And what they found is they now have to have a new program to really qualify these people who say, oh, yeah, give me money and I'll give you rural Internet. But it never got to people. They never did it. So there's, you know, a missing three billion dollars. I'm sure some of it has been uh, has been used and efficiently, uh, but a lot of them hasn't. Um, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, Senator, um, said they are going to require applicants who get federal funding to deliver broadband, but making sure that they can actually deliver it. So with this farm bill, I think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of debate. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting is one third of Congress has never worked on a farm bill before. They've got a lot of new members, so they don't understand the farm bill and how complicated it is. Yes, I thought that was interesting as well. And they will be looking to their more experienced um, uh, co-workers in Congress um, to to learn how they, they should vote, I assume. Um, but but yes, to speak to some of the to speak to some of the uh, components of this farm bill that you've covered here, here, Phil. You know, it the the SNAP uh, portion of this bill is a major, major concern. You know, particularly with one in every four children being hungry in America, this is a serious concern. Um, in 2018, um, we we had what was put in place the Thrifty Food Plan, which changed um, the SNAP program to require an additional twelve dollars to sixteen dollars per month per recipient um, to make sure that they had enough money to actually get a healthy diet, to buy food that was healthy and um, provided those important nutrients, particularly for children. So that is a, a major, major component to this. And also climate solutions. You know, there will be a lot of debate about, about climate solutions. Um, a lot of farmers would like the help from the government um, to um, put in place and implement these um, new technology solutions to help them um, to help them make their farms more sustainable. And so we'll see how that plays out. There is controversy because some feel that that is, opens up an opportunity for more greenwashing, which we have also seen in the industry. So um, so it is important to for us all to um, pay attention to these issues. We've also seen that there is a prediction that this may not even come to a vote until 2025. It is. The Farm Bill is very complicated and uh... We're going to watch it very carefully to see what happens, but we can expect a lot of fights, especially over the SNAP program, um, as the uh, federal budget comes under much scrutiny with the debt ceiling and the like. 
Thanks, Sally. On today's Bullseye, Unilever's latest advertising tactic is more than just a good idea. It could change the digital ad space and the environment forever. Unilever's brands, Hellman's Comfort and Magnum Ice Cream, is piloting a new program that rewards consumers for watching ads that promote sustainable behavior. Remember that Super Bowl ad with Pete Davidson that focused on waste? It was hilarious. Little did we know back then that the brand was cooking up game-changing advertising. In all fairness, maybe they didn't realize it at the time either. Or maybe the response was so strong, those brilliant marketers decided to push the envelope a bit with this latest campaign that, according to the company, sits at the intersection between marketing, technology, and sustainability. Connie Brams, Unilever's chief digital and commercial officer, told The Drum that we use short videos to tell sustainable stories about our brands, and then we reward consumers for engaging with it. And what we've seen from the pilots that we've been doing is that, first of all, it builds brand power, which is really important, but also it really changes behavior. These ads are appearing on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So here's how it works. After watching the videos, viewers have been rewarded and can convert their reward into a coupon or a contribution to a worthy cause linked to the brand's purpose. For example, after watching a Hellman's ad, the viewer could donate to a food waste project. Unilever said it's seen significant increases in brand power scores in two metrics, meaning and difference, and how positively consumers are perceiving these brands as purpose-driven. They also told the drum that it's seen one of the highest action intent lifts after people watch these ads, with more people feeling inspired to make meals out of leftovers, wash in shorter, colder cycles, reuse plastic and fix and repurpose clothes. This is a perfect example of the kind of innovation that brands need to do in their advertising, rather than just another lame campaign that doesn't move the needle. Kudos to the Unilever team. Trying to change the world is a great thing. Keep up the insights. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think, and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll come back to join us on next week's installment of the Lemper Report Live when we focus on the biggest and best insights and the things that really matter. I hope you'll visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends, and join us back here next Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more.